Well, good morning. We plan to continue the study in 1 John chapter 2. You can turn there if you wish. If you were not with us in the first 11 verses, the title of that message a few weeks ago was God-Honoring Lifestyle. And the three points uh, for that message were, number one, sin-free living from verses 1 and 2, and Christ-like obedience, verses 3 through 6, and love one for another in verses 7 through 11. And this morning, Lord willing, we will cover the remaining of chap- part of chapter 2. But John what was an interesting writer as we uh, had the introduction a number of months ago, we see his goal, his main goal was to warn the believers against deception. And he does that quite well, but as we're going to see here in chapter 2, he is, he is constantly changing subjects to get his point across. And if you just, a brief overview of the remaining of the, remainder of the chapter, a few verses include the spiritual growth, and we're going to talk about that this morning, and then followed by a warning against our connection to the world in some very, with some very familiar verses, and then at the end here we see a warning about Antichrist. So this morning we have uh, three points for the message, spiritual growth, love not the world, and the third one, Antichrist will come. And I would like just for a goal for the messages this morning, for the message this morning, just to encourage a, a close relationship with the Lord. Earlier in the week I had the message title, and then later in the week I changed it. And why, I'm not sure, but God had led me to the message, Abide in Christ. And as, as we look at these verses, this subject comes, this, this point comes up uh, a number of times. But abide in Christ. And as the goal continues there, relationship with the Lord, and also while we do that, we need to be on guard for false theology. Point number one, spiritual growth, verses 12 through 14. 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven, forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, Excuse me, and you have overcome the wicked one. So we see him writing to three groups of people, the little children, the fathers, and the young men. So what is he referring to? Children, babes in Christ. We can look at that as newborn Christians, new believers, young Christians. So he's writing to them, fathers, referring to the spiritually mature, those who are, are, uh, have a deep, rich knowledge of God and his word. So now we, we start, he starts with the little children, the, uh, and to the fathers, and also the young men. And here he's referring to those two who are strong in the faith, but also uh, mature believers. So we can look at that and say, well, what, what group are we in? He goes on and says, children, back to the little children, your sins are forgiven. And there, there I see an initial start to the Christian journey, forgiveness of sins. Young men, you have overcome the wicked one. I like to look at that as they are strong through times of temptation and followed by victorious living. 
He's speaking to the fathers, proven faithful from the beginning. And while, like Dad, while still growing, they're well-rooted in the faith and with knowledge and understanding of the gospel. Three groups of people, and we can, you can plug yourself in there where you're at. It's been said on your spiritual journey, the important feature is not necessarily where you are at. Now, yes, that's important as well, but it's not necessarily uh, what they're looking at there is the direction you're heading. That's a question I can't, I, I can't answer for you. So you might say, well, in my spiritual journey, I am, and put yourself into three groups that he's writing to, and that's important where you are at, but also what we'd like to see is what direction are you heading? As you get older, you see people heading many in the right direction and some not. The question for us this morning to consider is what direction are you heading and what direction am I heading? And how can we answer that question? Well, we, there's many ways, but what is important to you? What is important to me? After church, we have our conversations, and you can find out what is important to people. But what, are, what direction are we headed? If you find yourself, if you find yourself in a group with young, with young believers, that's good. There's no problem there. And in time, you will mature into a faithful believer. But the, the, the key ingredient I see here is spiritual growth. Are we growing in the Lord? So he's writing to all, and he, he lists the stages we may find ourselves in. Then he encourages us to grow, to grow and grow. A point we need to remember is, is spiritual growth will not happen by default. Never. We don't become a Christian at the peak of a hill, of a mountain, and the rest of our life is just a downhill coast. That's not how it works. Christian life does not happen by default. Victory is waiting for all who do what? You need to take the end of verse 14 and apply it to our lives. The word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Such a beautiful picture. Let's not think, of, okay, I became a Christian five years ago. I'm going to coast it out. It doesn't work that way. We need to be overcomers. It tells us you're strong. Where? In the power of the Lord. The word of God abideth in you. That key ingredient, title of the message, the abiding in God. And it's not in a journey that we're on alone, but we need to press on with the power of God within. Also, we're living in victory. Why? Because you are an overcomer. You have overcome the evil one. And by faith, we trust in our almighty God that we can claim that prize. Revelation 2, 7, uh, the last part of the verse, to him that overcometh, we probably know it by heart, will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. What is over, to, to overcome is to conquer, to seize the victory. And we know the song, life is a battlefield, and children, you better get ready. Are you, am I, are we overcomers? Are we growing in our spiritual walk with the Lord? kind of tapping off what Jim shared the other Wednesday night, I say this, the point is spiritual growth. The picture is various stages on our Christian life. Then the, you know what the punch is? The word of God abiding within. So there we see it, so beautifully laid out. Are we growing? And when we do that, the point is there. The word of God needs to abide within so we can live victorious Christian lives. This, re this week, I read the book, No Turning Back by Pablo Yoder. Uh, from the church library here, stories of Nigerian Christians who suffered under a Muslim terrorist group in northeast Nigeria. And the terrorist target were Christians. And the Christian men who refused to deny the Lord Jesus Christ 
were killed. Stories, sad stories, over and over again. And women, uh, they became slaves and, and lived in, in horrible conditions. Stories of people who were strong in the faith, willing to die for their faith, knowing where they're going to spend eternity. And yes, I say, I certainly hope uh, and pray that we never face that kind of persecution, but just allow us just to, to pause for a second and think about it. Is your faith, is my faith strong enough that we will say no when asked to deny our Lord, knowing that death is waiting? I encourage you to read the book, but in case you decide not to, just shot killed right up front in front of their families because they refused to deny Lord Jesus Christ. They were asked, will you deny? They said, no. My point this morning is growing in the faith. Are we strong in the faith? I repeat, may we never face that kind of persecution, but grow in the faith, church. Grow and grow strong. Moving on, point number two, love not the world, verses 15 through 17. Familiar, often quoted, love not the world, these are the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So that's, remember what we just talked about. While continuing to grow, John introduces another subject. Love not the world. So what does that mean? To love the world is to hold the world close or to desire to have more of, to take pleasure in, to be drawn to. What is the world? The world is the value system uh, that dominates society and is contrary to the will and way of God. Sometimes we speak of the world as the mountains that God created. We talk about the waves in the ocean, the beautiful sunset. Other times we think about the world as the people God created who make up our society. But, and God loves the people of the world. But the world is that we're not to love, that he's talking about here in this verse, is the self-centered way of life that ignores God. So we get caught up in, in the world we go our way and forget things that really matter. And we talked about a little bit in our Sunday school class this morning, another good lesson we had in our Sunday school class about how we got to be careful about stuff that we lose our focus and, and turn away from God. The world is, operates by selfish principles and lives by ungodly standards. And I think we all know we need to avoid that and not become connected to that. John Calvin defines a world which we're not to love as, I quote, everything connected with the present life apart from the kingdom of God and the hope of eternal life. In the world are pleasures, delights, all those attractions, and here's the key that he's talking about, all those attractions by which people are captivated and so as to withdraw from God, end quote. And there we see the danger. The things of this world take us, our focus, off of God. So when we crave anything that God will not approve, what happens? It drives a wedge into our relationship with him. You know, John started the letter here in introducing us to God. And he says, God is light. He's, he's uh, instructing us to walk in light, to live free from sin, to love one another, and, and to grow in him. And more that we see there, but everything that he is telling us is directing us away from the world system and to God. 
So, brothers and sisters, what John is telling us this morning in this, in this letter, we need to be so careful with the things and ways of this world that we don't come sidetracked and start following that. When we do that, we take a turn and follow the ways of the world, and it takes us away from God. Take heed. Be alert. Be strong in the faith. Ephesians 5.1, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage then you could say, well, the world offers a system of values that they, that's exciting and colorful and enticing. And the fact is, that is true. And as a result, we are in danger of getting wrapped up in, in, in uh, placing our spiritual values as second place or lower. And I warn us this morning, love not the world. The solution, love not the world. The world is not always external by things we do. It's also internal. It begins in the heart. And it's marked by three attitudes. John lists them. The lust of the flesh. What's he talking about? Spiritual temptation. Sexual sin. Number two, the greed of the eyes. I'm sorry, the lust of the eyes. Greed. Envy. Extravagance. And the third one, the pride of life. What's that? The arrogant desire to be recognized. Saw that this morning in our Sunday school lesson as well. Pride. What's the root? Selfishness. Me, it's about me. And John's saying, whoa, whoa, be careful, folks. Be careful. Be so careful. And the three listed there in um, verse 16 have been described, it could be referred to the trinity of evil. And it would lead us away from God. According to John's pen, which was inspired by God, the love, uh, the love for God is absent in the lives of those who desire the things the world is offering. It's not of the world. It's not of the Father, but it's of the world. The things listed in John in verse 16 do not originate with God. They have shown no likeness to his character. It's contrary to his will and originated with the evil's world system. So the, the, the warning is clear this morning. Love not false values, false standards, and the false gods of our society. Because whatever things are involved in this world system are under the authority of the evil one. Folks, be careful. We're living in this world, but we cannot love this world and plan to stay here for a long time. We are sojourners. We're here temporarily. Last week, uh, the Texture Mountain Mennonite Church, down our way somewhere, sent us a track titled, The Problem of Spiritual Obesity. And I uh, typed some of this in my notes. I would like to read that a few lines from, from the track. One of the verses they shared at first was, Deuteronomy 32.15 But Jeshuron waxed fat and kicked. Thou art waxen fat, thou art grown thick, thou art covered with fatness. Then he forsook God which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation. It goes on to say God's not talking about the size of our spiritual bodies. He's talking about surrounding ourselves with this world's possessions and pleasures to the harm of our souls. And what that's, that is what they're referring to as spiritual obesity. So why is it so dangerous? As John points out, we know spiritual obesity does what? It leads people away from God. It drowns people in pride. And it dulls our senses to spiritual dangers. They're talking about wrapping up, getting wrapped up in the things that the world is offering. And John brings it out here so clearly. Folks, love not the world. Spiritual 
On the other hand, spiritual health leads, requires alertness. We need to be alert. Fast forward, someday, each person, this is still in this, uh, in this track, fast forward, some person, someday, each one of us is going to stand before God. Then they bring two questions. Will your heart bear mute testimony to a spiritual beast life, and I trust not, or will it beat strong and healthy in tune with the heart of God? And that's the encouragement this morning, that we beware of what is out there, what we can get caught up in, which will lead us away from God, as talking about here, will drown us, and instead, let's be in tune with the heart of God and be strong and healthy with him. And then verse 17, I fear it brings out what's, what I fear so people, so few people recognize the things of this world which draw us away from God are temporary. So people and get caught up in the things this world offers, and that's what their focus is for life. But John says, no, that's temporary. This is going to come to an end. The world will pass away, and the lust thereof. So what is the punch for these verses? I think it's the end of verse 17. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And there we can claim the promise. We abide with God, we're going to claim his promise, that we will live together forever with him. The inscription on D.L. Moody's graveside, gravestone in Northfield, Massachusetts, compromised uh, the words, He that doeth the will of God abideth forever, John 2, 17. Not that we're looking at his gravestone, but just the fact that when we do God's will, we have the promise of eternity with him. Ray Stedman uh, says, If you're walking with Christ, if the things that he loves are most important to you, if a cup of cold water given him his name is far more value to you than another dollar in the bank, then you are building that which will endure, that which will last forever. I started out this morning just a little bit by where are we at, what are our goals, what are, what are we talking about in our conversations, what is important to us. And he, he is telling us if just to give a cup of cold water to someone is more important than heading off to make a deposit to the bank, then we're building things that will last forever. I had to thank the promises and the blessings of the Christian, the obedient Christian, the ones they will, the, the promises and blessings the Christian will receive will always outshine the pleasures this world has to offer. Are we part of those who are laying up treasure in heaven, as we're called in Matthew chapter 6. That brings us to the third point. The Antichrist deceives, is well, that's the title of my Bible. The point I have is Antichrist will come, verses 18 through 29. It's interesting, he comes back to the little children again here. Verse 18, little children, excuse me. It is the last time, as ye have heard, that Antichrist, Antichrist shall come. Even now, there are many antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might make manifest that they were not all of us. But we have an unction from the Holy, Ghost, the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Antichrist that denies the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. 
but he that acknowledges the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is a promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things I have written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye have not need, need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. There's a lot there. But John reminds us that we're living in the last days. That's a phrase we hear time to time, not something we should take lightly, but apply to our heart. Are, we're living in the last days. Are we ready? Are we watching? And are we waiting for the Lord's return? You know, John encouraged us to obey God. He said, confess your sins, overcome the enemy. And he's telling that, possibly in preparation for this next subject, which we're looking at here now, as John draws a line between truth and, frost and falsehood, between Christ and Antichrist. So real quickly, the singular word Antichrist refers to one personal expression of evil that's going to show itself in the last days. We hear about the Antichrist that's going to come. Claiming to be God yet opposing God, and his main goal is to lead people astray. Now, the plural antichrist, as we see here in verse 18, uh, is referring to those who show an anti-Christian spirit. And we could, they are like forerunners of the final antichrist. The Bible teaches that just before the Lord's return, one human personality, as I studied this, will set himself up in opposition against God. That is the Antichrist. But before that time comes, what we see here is other many Antichrists appearing, going ahead, preparing the way, setting the stage, planning the mission, and beginning the process. And as John is telling us there in verse 18, there are many already today, better known as, or also known as false teachers, who are out there promoting their agenda the false theology, creating a following, unfortunately, and also causing confusion. So that's just a little bit what is happening. And then it gets a little tricky in verse 19. These false teachers, look at what the Bible tells us there, were part, at one time, part of the local church. John says, they were among us. And I think it's why they have the possibility of being successful in their deception because some believers know them personally. So be careful. They were among us. He goes on and says, but because of their heart condition, they were not part of us. So they left, and then as we see their life now, it proves that they were not sincere believers. Verses 22 and 23 provide another way to recognize these false teachers. He tells us they oppose and they deny Jesus Christ. The warning is clear for us today. We need to be on, our, on alert about this. These people are denying the deity of Jesus Christ. They are denying that he is a sinless son of God. They're denying his death and resurrection. 
and his lordship and the fact that he's going to return to earth someday. But John has it listed there in verse 22, they are liars. So we need to be on guard. The biggest difference between the, the true and false teachers is what the person believes about Jesus Christ. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? These people here, the false teachers, deny him. God's true children recognize Jesus as both fully God and fully man and the only way to salvation. And we need to see what these people believe. So the Antichrist, John is telling, they will come. He's saying there are many here already. How are we to respond? Is this a time for fear? Well, the exciting news is there's protection against these people. And he brings it out clearly in verse 20. And I love how he brings this out. He tells us what's going to happen. Then he says, but you have an unction from the Holy One. What is an unction? That's like an anointing from the Holy Spirit. Faithful followers of Jesus Christ have the indwelling Holy Spirit in their lives. And that Holy Spirit is our source for spiritual wisdom and knowledge. We have within us the ability to know what's right and what's wrong. So there's, there's no reason to fear with what he is telling us. We don't have full knowledge of everything that's going to happen, but we possess the knowledge of spiritual truth, which he has promised to guide us on the correct path. It provides knowledge so we can discern between truth and error, between right and wrong. The Holy Spirit provides for us, uh, the connection that we have provides that the Holy Spirit gives us, rejects falsehood, clings to the truth, and leads to eternal life. And I tie that in with what Jesus said. He is the, the, the way, the truth, and the life. We need that, that connection that we have with the Holy Spirit is something we cannot overlook. But remember that we have within us, when something, somebody comes tempting us with false theology, do the math real quickly, and we can see if it is true or if it is false. God provided for us what we need. Moving on, verse 24, let, us therefore, let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. And here the test is given. Does the gospel remain in and abide in us? Do we have that gospel within? Are we clinging to the truth of God, what we have heard from the beginning, the inspired word of God? We're challenged to hold fast to the tried and true word of God and not to detour around its message. And the word abide comes up in verse 24 again. To abide in the Son and to abide in the Father is a clear indication that preserving faith involves a decision on our part. Folks, we need to press on and keep the faith. Again, I repeat, we're not on top of a hill coasting down the other side. We need to press on and keep the faith. We have to cons uh, a goal to conserve the values that have proved to be valid in the past. Do we know the truth? And are we clinging and holding fast to that, standing for what is right and refusing false doctrine? So the questions could be asked, are we continuing to live in the Son and in the Father? Is that where we are at this morning? Are we continuing to live in the Son and in the Father? Is the gospel being lived out in our lives? Can people tell that you are different and you are living for the Lord are we confessing Jesus Christ to be the Son of God? Are we letting Christ have his life lived out through us? Which is why we're here. He put you here so he can let his, so his life can be lived out through you and I. And when we do that, again, 
verse 25 brings the punch to us. This is a promise he has promised us, even eternal life. The true believer has a promise of eternal life. John 3, 36, He that believeth in the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth, believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So if, if we're going to refuse to abide in God and his word, his wrath is going to abide on us. So we have a choice to make, but the decision to abide in him is not a difficult one to make. When we abide in God, then his blessing abides in us, on us, and he has promised us eternal life. Verse 20, 26, the warning is repeated. Be on guard for those whose agenda is to deceive and lead people away. And you could say, John, and you could say, Leon, why the alarm? I'm, I'm a mature Christian. Why the alarm? And I guess I could bring it out this way because there is so much at stake. If we get caught in a weak moment and listen to the deception, what happens to so many is they abandon the faith and go astray. So what's the option? Go back to verse 20. We have the anointing. The Holy Spirit abides within. He will lead us and teach us a way to the Father. We don't need to go searching for another doctrine. We don't need to go try to find another way. He says, you know the truth. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, because you know it there in verse 21. He had the ability to understand spiritual truth with the aid of the Holy Spirit. Verse 27, you have no need that any man teach you. He's not saying that we are to refuse all teaching, but allow the Holy Spirit to discern between truth and error. Last Sunday we heard that God gives gifts to his children and to some the gift of teaching. So that's a, a clear indication we can learn from those who teach the truth. He gets to verse 28 and he comes back. Now little children, I like to look at it this way, remain calm. Think about what I just said. He says, abide in him. If you forget some things that I, that I just wrote, John's saying, abide in Christ. That's where he wants us to be. Are we living with Christ? The word abide means to continue in relationship with him. And we could ask the question again, why? And the answer is because Jesus is coming back. He's going to return just as he promised. And the verse 28 tells us when he does return, the believers are going to give an account of their faithfulness in obedience and service to, to him. On that judgment day, we see there's going to be two reactions. One, some are going to experience confidence, and others will experience shame. But we don't have to be live in fear of his Lord's return. Instead, we should be looking forward to the day when he comes back, and with no reason to be ashamed. Confident means, means, confidence means boldness. Are we ready for his return? Are we living righteously? And when we are, we're not going to shrink back in shame, have no reason to, but we'll come boldly and ready to meet our maker and ready to spend eternity with him. You know, my heart's desire for, for every soul here this morning that you be ready and prepared for his return and that when he does return, you can meet him with confidence without a trace of shame. When he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. We live in a day of grace. Today is the day of salvation. Harden not your hearts. If the Lord is speaking to you, has spoken something that you need to change, be open. So that when he does return, no need to be ashamed. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, 
you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. And I was studying, I come to verse 29, and this is what's on my notes. Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures, Jesus thy perfect likeness to wear. Nate, no need to change the song you picked. It's all good. But the, the refrain is, Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, come in thy sweetness, come in thy fullness, stamp thine own image deep on my heart. When I'm thinking about just abiding in Christ, it says there, Gladly I'll forfeit all earth's treasures. That goes back to verse 15. The things of the world. I'll forfeit all of that just so I can abide in you, God. I can just be just living exactly like you want, us, want me to live. We know that he that is righteous, we know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. And I trust we find ourselves in verse 29. Oh, to be like thee again, more of Christ, full of compassion, loving, forgiving, tender, and kind, helping the helpless, cheering the fainting, seeking the wandering sinner to find. Lowly in spirit, holy and harmless, patient and brave, meekly enduring cruel reproaches, willing to suffer others to save. But I... I think it sums it up, verse 29, so well, that we are just here today. We don't know how long yet. Christ is coming back. But are we abiding with Christ today? Are we willing to suffer so that, others, so that his name could be honored and glorified? We come to the end of 1 John chapter 2, and what we learn, in relation to sin, we need atonement, verses 1 and 2. In relation to Christ, we need obedience, verses 3 through 6. In relation to Fellow believers, we need love, 7 through 11. In relation to ourselves, we need growth. We looked at this morning, 12 through 14. In relation to the world, we need separation, 12, 15 through 17. In relation to the Antichrist, we need a Holy Spirit direction, 18, verses 18 to the end of the chapter. And could I have an aim for 1 John 2? That we become increasingly victorious in our Christian walk. Week by week, month by month and year by year. May our attitude be, Lord, here I am. Send your spirit so I can live a holy life. Here I am, Lord. Please use me for your glory. Here I am, Lord, ready, waiting, and looking forward to your return. And here I am, Lord, abide in me. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father God, we come before you this morning. We're just so thankful for your word and how you just inspire John just to spell it out so clearly here for us. And I pray, Lord, that we could be growing in you, God. We could be alert and aware of the dangers of the world. You know, we could just be aware of the Antichrist that's going to come. But on top of all, Lord, through all this life here on this earth, we could just be abiding in you. I pray, God, that's a heart desire of each one, that we can be ready, waiting, and looking forward to your return without shame. Give us wisdom and direction. Help us, Lord, just to be more like you as we live with you, Lord. Thank you again for the blessings that you have promised to those who are faithful. Help us, Lord, just to claim the promise of eternal life with you for all who are faithful. In the name of Jesus, we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Nate, we have a song. Stand for the song, please.